You're listening to Alternative Thinking, Both Sides of the Coin, a production of the Canadian Association of Alternative Strategies and Assets, where we explore today's markets and alternative investments from two distinct perspectives. Today we're speaking about ESG, with a bit of a focus on the S, or social, as your surmise as you get into this. I'm joined by two from the ESG and impact areas, one with decades of grassroots ESG quant background, and with a platform to determine if as many as 30,000 companies are doing what they say they are. The other has a broad view of ESG from a chair at a major global association that creates standards that can be used across a variety of industries and fulfilling requirements by many stakeholders. James Braun is the president and co-founder of CASA. All opinions expressed during the show by James and our show guests remain their own and should be used for informational and educational purposes only. Find out more about CASA at casa.ca. Welcome, this is James Brown with CASA, and this is Alternative Thinking. Today we have Bonnie Linda Bartok with the S-Factor Company, and Jeff Cohen with SASB, or the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. We'll uh, start with self-introductions. Uh, start with you, Bonnie. Hi, James. Thanks for um, inviting us to chat again today, so really appreciate that. Uh, by way of background, um, I've been working in social impact for a little over two decades uh, around the world in operations and, uh, you know, all things social impact measurement and management uh, within the operations of Mm. corporates. And then about three years ago, we started out on the venture of converting what we were doing for one project at a time into a data and analytics solution whereby we could cover, you know, 37,000 projects at a time. Uh, and run some really unique uh, analytics and insights around social impact measurement and management uh, for the institutional investment market. So that's what we're doing now. That's cool. So, uh, so tell me a bit more about your background. What was the impact kind of stuff you were doing? Yeah, we um, uh, we've been focused on uh, social impact measurement and management for corporations. So predominantly the mining and oil and gas sector, but we've mm. also advised for financial institutions um, and governments and heads of state, if you will, on uh, social impact issues around labor, around community engagement, around um, you know health and safety of communities where companies, foreign companies uh, are operating within their jurisdictions and what mm-hmm. the standards and rules and regulations would be where there isn't, you know, certain uh, specific regulation that would help to to mitigate any any disruptions where the companies are operating. Um, and, you know, for the financial institutions, we would act in the capacity of due diligence for around human rights issues for uh, debt facility or m transactions that were fairly sizable mm-hmm. around infrastructure, you know, where the institutions wanted a little bit more insight, on-the-ground insight as to... Uh, you know, the severity of certain issues and what the probabilities of disruption would be where they were going to make an investment. Wow. So you've been, yeah, you've been in this for quite a while. Um, so has your, has getting these, uh, these quantifiable factors on impact kind of impacted what companies have done and how, how they've been perceived or uh, like what's, what's kind of been the evolution of that? I've really seen a shift obviously over 20, 20 some odd years where, you know, 20 years ago, we were having to create the business case and present it to directors and owners teams of various organizations to demonstrate quantification of lost time, 
based on mm-hmm. socially motivated or socially related issues. So, you know, if you had a labor protest or if you had a union protest or if you had, you know, a community protest or if you had, you know, some sort of health and safety issue internally, what would the lost time costs, reputational costs, insurance costs, legal costs, you know, what, how could you aggregate that and, and put it into a probability factor on, on CapEx or OpEx and, and uh, how it would affect the business from an operating perspective. So we would create the business mm. case to say, you can mitigate the probabilities of any of these issues through a social lens by X, Y, and Z. And so we created a lot of proprietary tools and processes and benchmarks pre-ESG, pre-CSR, pre, you know, there's a lot of frameworks. (laughs) There's a plethora of frameworks to use in terms of best practice uh, and and measurement tools that we see today. A lot of those were non-existent 20 years ago, uh, but there was a lot of development theory and frameworks to choose from that have been around since the 60s. So there were were other frameworks, not investment-related and not quantifiable related, but uh, best practices in terms of engagement with communities that we could draw from. And so throughout 20 years, we've obviously started incorporating every framework as it became available. So, and now what we see is the operating best practice frameworks for organizations and the, and the sustainable or responsible investment frameworks. There's still a large gap between what the two of them are measuring um in terms of effectiveness and efficiency and return on investment and social mitigations and such Mm -hmm. so um you know we really kind of grandfathered in all of that subject expertise into a standardized set of Mm -hmm. benchmarks for the investment community and then we're now bringing the business cases to the investment community where before we were we were presenting them to the corporates directly wow cool well, we're into benchmarks and best practices. Let's, uh, let's bring earlier as Jeff Don and uh, let's hear about what you've been doing, Jeff, and uh, what SASB is, is up to. Absolutely. Thanks, James. Um, <clears throat> so I've been with, uh, with SASB for nearly two and a half years. I've been at the intersection of impact and ESG in, uh, integration into uh, private markets and alternative investing for nearly seven years. Um, and my role within SASB specifically is to work with uh, service providers, consultants that work with institutional investors on how they can develop more robust integration of ESG considerations into their various phases of their investment process, whether it be fundamental analysis, whether it be um, leveraging the standards in conjunction with, uh, with social or environmental or governance related data or even to facilitate engagement to uh, access disclosure of this information into the public domain, which is ultimately the overall mission of the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board as an independent Mm -hmm. not-for-profit. We are seeking to have consistent, comparable, and financially material ESG information make its way into the public domain so that investors can make more informed decisions, and that ultimately facilitates uh, better operating uh, insights, as well as capital allocation decisions from issuers, um, either in the public or private markets, mm-hmm. in order to manage these factors to create more financially resilient business models that also lead to uh, positive social and environmental uh, externalities. So uh, that's a lot of my wow. focus uh, within uh, SASB currently. That's awesome. So where do, you, where do you find the impetus? Is it the institutional investors saying, this is our paradigm and we, we want to we want to make sure that we at places that we're investing in the companies that we're investing in are 
ESG oriented or, or at least not ESG negative and, and doing good as well? Or is it from the company saying, this is where it's going and we, we're going to adopt this, this framework and, and then show it to the investors and say, look, 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 look what we've got here. Or what, what kind of mix do you see there? Or is there another, another stakeholder that, that kind of pushes both to, uh, to move? It's a little bit of both. Um, and there are certainly other stakeholders that are uh, influencing this uh, complex and interconnected ecosystem, inclu- including uh, regulatory regimes, other civil society um, that are advocating for some form of information. But by and large, the uh, because SASB is focused very much on the single stakeholder communication between issuer and investor, we are getting a lot of uptake and interest from investors because uh, ultimately there's been a lot of studies that have been done where it, uh, largely by the big four accounting firms conducting surveys of hundreds of institutional investors and hundreds of, of issuers. And there was one that's particularly poignant, I believe it was in 2016, where they showed that 100% of issuers were confident in the quality of the ESG information that they were disclosing in various mm-hmm. forms, whether it be CSR reports or regulatory uh, filings. But with that same information, only 29% of investors were confident in the quality of that information. Uh, and the reason is, is because largely <laughs> and historically, this information was delivered to investors in the glossy um, non-quantitative, highly sort of philanthropic oriented uh, corporate citizenship type activities uh, mm-hmm. of different companies, which are certainly very important and are very relevant to local communities and other stakeholders. But from an investor perspective, this information is not decision useful to either add to a position or to potentially make a more informed investment, uh, more informed investment analysis based on factors that, as as Bonnie mentioned, connect to things like capex, opex, cost of capital, the ability to enter new markets, etc. Um, mm. So that's one of the the challenges that we're trying to solve for, um, and it's not only uh, investors are promoting. Uh, issuers to disclose this information when it comes to public markets, but forward, forward-thinking invest, uh, forward-thinking companies in both the public mm-hmm. and private markets are being proactive about um, collecting this information such that they can glean meaningful operating insights to help them make more informed capital allocation decisions. So let me get this straight. 100% of managers thought that they were delivering the information that investors needed, but investors only thought that 29% of managers were actually doing this. This reminds me of the uh, study of Swedish drivers and uh, their uh, perception of their own habits. And a vast majority of them thought that they were above average, but by definition, a vast majority really couldn't be. Uh, so, and it's interesting how you have the linkage between ESG and uh, what the investors are looking for, what they use for their investment purposes. <laughs> That's a good analogy. So, I guess with uh, Bonnie, like your um, uh, with your, how does how does your S factor? How do you how do you connect the two um, with the like literally the S, the social factor, and connect it to companies that might do well or do poorly vis a vis other indices or the the markets and such and. Uh, and where, where did you find the impetus? Is it is it companies coming to you and saying, "Here, please make our data look good," or is it investors saying, "Hey, um, you know, we really want to see what's in our portfolio." How to uh, so? Where do you see the uh, the movement coming from? You know, originally working, you know, in heavy industrial 
uh, sector around the world, uh, we early on more than, uh, I guess, a little over 10 years ago, we made the correlation between the guys getting the social stuff right and their ability to be more efficient and, and um, uh, financially up before their peers in the industry. And so we had created a social performance index back in 2010 that was looking at these variables then, uh, which has since evolved into um, you know global coverage across industries and sectors and and market cap and uh, what's interesting is we used to dr- we were trying then to drive value for the companies to position it in front of the investors to say listen they're doing all these things they're mitigating all these risks um, and the investment community wasn't um, mm. didn't have enough information or they had an, a, some really good information from one company because we were presenting it to them as a case. But they needed to see it across 30,000 companies to, to make it, you know, empirical evidence that companies that are behaving in a certain way are actually outperforming the yeah. markets and, and their peer group. And so, you know, I was barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> there was a lot of companies who really actually did want to get it right. They just didn't huh. know what that looked like. Like, what does that mean? Because they thought, you know, there was good intention, but it didn't actually, it wasn't anything really material. So they would go in and say, well, you know, we're going to reserve 10% of our, our exploration budget for you know, philanthropic type uh, activity and build schools and hospitals and we should be okay. Um, and that's not a necessarily uh, the right strategy, especially in, in some of the jurisdictions where they were working. So, um, and so some of that would backfire and they'd say, well, we, we spent so much money on these programs and, and it didn't come back to us. Uh, and it's because it was the wrong strategy for that environment. And so how do we then translate that scenario to an investor to say, here's a company who's done all of the right things to mitigate every possible disruption uh, that could be caused by a social event, um, you know, dependent on what the, the risks associated with certain operating environments would be. So sometimes it's not always the company. It could just be the operating environment as well and the inherent social risks that come with it. So if there's civil unrest, if there is an issue with another industry that's overflowing into their industry and, and all of those, uh, typical geopolitical, mm-hmm. we'll call them geopolitical, but there's, there is a social segment to geopolitical on, on behaviors of, of companies and, and populations as mm-hmm. well. But, you know, ultimately we got into the advising investors around 2014 and 15, we really started moving into that space and they're saying, well, unless you tell me, I don't know, I don't actually have a window into this information unless a yeah. controversy hits the news. I don't have a history of proactively monitoring and measuring whether or not this is going to be a problem for me. Um, and so we hire you guys as a one-off. If it's a, if it's a sizable project, you know, it can warrant the expense of experts to come in and give us, you know, a deeper dive analysis before we make some decisions. And it was then that I understood that I needed to be able to do 30,000 of these and get it to the hands of investors every day as opposed to a one-off project um, in order to make a difference. Wow. So, Thank God for supercomputers. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we had to automate what we were doing, right? Like it was, it, and then what? And then, you know, what's the, what's the benchmark? And so, you know, we look to, I think Sasby's doing an incredible job. Sasby, I know we didn't define this up front, and I'm assuming the listeners know, but it's Sustainable uh, Accounting Standards Board. Um, and it, it it's a... Uh, a nonprofit organization, but it really is pushing the agenda Mm -hmm. similarly to the accounting standards where you have an international standard for definition and metric and financial return, you know, materiality 
um, against the criteria. And I really think they are a global front runner for setting that global standard across ESG issues. So just, um, you know, on that point, James, uh, you had asked me about social factors specifically. So in our research about what investors were using uh, for information to help them inform their investment decisions, we looked across all of their suppliers uh, around uh, what is now known as ESG data suppliers or non-traditional alternative data suppliers that would have unique uh, data inputs. And we realized that there was this huge gaping hole around the social issues where we had been working for decades. Uh, and so, you know, we made a decision to focus there to help fulfill the social uh, factor gap. Now industry is really kind of pushing the agenda on, on human capital. They're calling it human capital information, which largely focuses on internal management of companies' behaviors. But I think you know, if I if we could look to Jeff a little bit more, I mean, they are the ones that are helping to standardize mm -hmm. what that means. Um, you know, so I think Jeff can lend some more insight to that. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. Uh, SASB uh, is a standard setting organization. And how we set standards is through the feedback that's provided by the market. So we are collecting information from investors, mm -hmm issuers, academics, civil society, on um, not just social and human capital factors, which I'll dive into in a little bit more depth, but also environmental leadership and governance and business model and innovation factors. And we do it on an industry by industry basis, fully in the public domain in a highly transparent fashion in a similar way in which traditional accounting standards were set. So this is not uh, SASB in a dark room uh, telling the market what we think uh, <laughs> ought to matter. It's us actively going out to experts, collecting evidence, um, having this all approved by our independent standards board, receiving public comment letters uh, in a very similar fashion to how traditional accounting standards were set. As it pertains specifically to uh, how, what we define as social capital and human capital dimensions, these are some very important areas within the standards that are particularly being uh, stress tested amongst many different types of companies amidst this pandemic that we're all dealing with and experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to just give you a, spe a few specific examples of what a social, uh, uh, social capital dimension standard would look like within a few industries. So think about cruise lines and how uh, significantly impacted they've been by the pandemic. One of the issues that we've identified through our market-informed process is customer health and safety. And a way in which you can measure that is fleet average CDC vessel sanitation program inspection score and the percentage of inspections failed. So that is obviously a highly material issue. And then there is also a specific met metric around gastrointestinal illness, uh, this is obviously not pandemic specifically related, but but those are some challenges that the cruise lines were facing uh, from a health standpoint uh, long before COVID even arrived. Um, and if you look to a, a completely different industry and in thinking about key factors uh, from a human capital dimension that are highly relevant, think about metals and mining with a material issue being labor relations and a specific way in which you can measure that is the number and duration of strikes and lockouts or the percentage of active workforce covered under collective bargaining agreements broken down by different types of employees from a geographic standpoint. So there are 77 industries in the SASB standards, all with unique 
manifestation of ESG factors. Um, but one area that we're particularly focused on as we evolve the standards going forward is human capital. And specifically, what we've identified in the standards are things like employee health and safety, employee engagement, diversity and inclusion, and labor practices. And we are uh, embarking mm. on a significant project where we're uh, effectively uh, reevaluating many different factors across all 77 industries, collecting more feedback from the market to ensure that there is a, a deeper understanding and more evidence collected to potentially add and uh, iterate upon the standards. Uh, so I, I wanted to give the, the listeners just a couple of very tangible, specific examples um, and the way in which uh, Bonnie and the S-Factor team are highlighting this and uh, integrating SASB in part amongst others uh, to deliver to institutional investors, I think is incredibly valuable, particularly with the increased focus on some of these factors that we're experiencing currently in the market. Wow, that's great. Thanks. So, um, so how does a company like uh, Bonnie was talking about how a company kind of looking good, like they have the, like you mentioned too, with the, the glossy um, kind of presentations, and you know they might have that school set up, and um, so maybe that maybe that isn't the way to go about it. There's other ways. Like how how does a company look good from the from the SASB uh, guidelines, and then so that they would be um, you have a positive review from a from an institutional investor. Companies uh, convey information to a broad set of stakeholders. Um, so it's certainly still important for them to communicate about the local work that they're doing in communities because their employees care, uh, you know, the local communities care, local NGOs uh, certainly value that information. Um, insofar as a company is looking to disclose information to institutional investors that will reflect well upon them, it's really not necessarily how the information is disclosed is whether they're actually taking action around these issues that leads to improvement upon um, incident rates or uh, GHG emissions or exposure to systemic risk factors. So ultimately, if a company is looking to present themselves well to in institutional investors, it's not just about how you disclose. It's about actually taking concrete action to mm mitigate the risks that they're exposed to that are potentially financially material or positioning themselves so that they can capture new opportunities and enter new markets uh, based on certain sustainability related trends. So we certainly don't want to encourage the phenomena of cherry picking only the metrics that will make a company look good um, because a sophisticated investor will be able to see right through that. Um, but the idea is that these standards will simply reflect the issues that are likely to be material. A company can identify which of the industry standards are most likely to be relevant to their business model. And then the mm -hmm. idea is to put the information out there, engage in a constructive conversation with investors, and to the extent that it will be allow them to improve their financial resiliency and be better corporate actors, um, that's ultimately what is likely to be an outcome as a result of that level of engagement. That's how disclosure can lead to outcomes. But the idea is not to creatively disclose to look good. It's to disclose the information, have a successful mm -hmm. dialogue with investors, realize what this information means and how it connects to income statement, balance sheet, cash flow issues, and then manage those accordingly. It's kind of like helping them become a better company at the end of the day. It's if it, it affects their financial well-being, yeah. That's These why. issues must be tied to financial factors in order to be identified as material mm -hmm. in the SASB standards, full stop. If we cannot, if we do not have sufficient evidence where we can connect an ESG factor 
within an industry mm -hmm. to various financial value drivers. And we have sufficient feedback from investors that that information is of interest to them, then a factor will not be identified as material in the SASB standards. Do you take any sort of, uh, I don't want to say moralistic, but do you, do you like the, the, the knee-jerk reaction of no oil or uh, the idea of best of the worst sort of thing? Or, do, or is that just like, here's the disclosure and then the in, in institutional investors, they decide how they're going to fit that into their own framework and you're providing them all the tools? Or, or do you have any sort of like guiding principles around um, around the what ESG means and how it should be used? It's, it's much more the latter. Um, so we have standards that cover the coal industry, that cover oil and gas, mm -hmm. that cover casinos, uh, all things that, you know, certain investors may choose to exclude from their portfolios for uh, moral reasons or because their beneficiaries uh, or clients are asking for that. But we're, what mm. we're simply saying is that in all industries, whether they're identified as um, good uh, actors or, or not, just from the, the very nature of their business model, uh, companies within those industries uh, can better manage or poorly manage certain ESG factors that will either contribute to or detract from their overall financial well-being. Um, so mm -hmm. it is not our position to take a moral stance on what investors should or should not include in their portfolios. It is simply our position that there are certain factors that would allow them to make more informed decisions should they choose to invest in certain industries. And if they choose to exclude them, that's that's certainly their prerogative, and, and that's totally fine. Cool. Uh, Bonilin, how, how do you find that your, uh, your clients use use your information with the, uh, like I said, like 30,000 companies and, and the different uh, metrics, I guess, in the, in the, in the S factor, how, how do they integrate that into their investment process? Yeah. I mean, uh, so just, just to, to make a comparison uh, with SASB, uh, you know, we include the SASB framework and our metrics and, and our role really isn't to set their standard, but rather to hmm. apply it. So uh, we take it a step further and go and run that, filter that screen across all of the, the information that we are gathering. Um, you know, SASB is one of 45 frameworks that we include. So our standardization process isn't to set the standard for, for ESG, but rather to normalize across all of the options that are available on the market uh, in mm -hmm. terms of definitions and metrics and, and apply the information. So not yet another framework for people to go and voluntarily apply the information themselves, but rather we're taking it a step further and applying all of the work ourselves and packaging that up for ease of use for investors as well. So what do I mean by that? Um, you know, what SASB might qualify for, you know, incident rates, for a particular industry, we've got that according to SASB, but we've got it according to other frameworks as well. And so there is a variance between how they define mm. and how they measure some of these things uh, across frameworks. And that can be very confusing for investors when deciding which framework to follow. So what we've seen historically is that a, a financial institution will subscribe uh, across the institution to one or two frameworks that they will then commit mm -hmm. to that all of their investments must abide by. Um, and so SASB certainly is one of those ones that is, is really uh, making forward movements on, on ESG standardization. With the consolidation of all of the frameworks, we end up with a thousand more metrics on the social issues than any other ESG framework, wow. right? So, so when we look, we are looking at 
you know, incident rates, but where the operational expertise comes into play when we're actually applying it to the analytics is how somebody's measuring the incident. So we've come across situations, you know, working in the mining industry, obviously, where Canadian owned and operated company mm-hmm. operating in foreign jurisdiction. Well, you know, they have health and safety rules around using company owned vehicles for transportation to and from work and around the sites and what have you. And if there's an issue, uh, you know, like a traffic accident or, or, Somebody mm-hmm. rolls a truck or something like that in Canada. It was recorded a certain way and under only when it reached certain severity of issues like a fatality, would it be recorded under specific incident rules. But the same company had operations in South America where, you know, those rules outside of work did not actually apply. So their incidents were ah. actually being recorded a different way. So if you look at the aggregate uh, incident reporting across an institution that ha- was multi-jurisdictional, you weren't actually getting any standardization across across the benchmark. And so that information, you'd, have, you'd read about it in the news if there was a fatality outside of work, but it wouldn't be tied to any fiduciary accountability uh, uh, to the company, even though they were driving a company vehicle outside of work, for example. And again, on, you know, another example would be health and safety rules. Every ESG framework is really pushing the human capital agenda on labor policies internally. And so you'll see companies who have, you know, other standards like ISO health and safety standards and and incident reporting there, but you will have issues in the community with health and safety based on noise pollution or dust pollution or what have you that could lead to social disruption. So it's not the entirety of the social picture, we don't think, based on our depth of expertise. Oh, that's great. So it sounds like it's it's like a CFA uh, type of thing where there's a there's an international standard and, and they have the ethics too where you have if you are faced with an ethical dilemma and you have rules in your home country rules in the other country and the CFA standards you got to take the more stringent of the three so it's great that that, that seems that's being um, might be applied to the uh, uh, to the ESG standards um, but for for Jeff uh, so what's next for SASB uh, what other types of areas are you getting into um, that maybe we haven't seen yet. I uh, imagine we're not looking at colonizing Mar- Mars yet. We haven't talked about the the, uh, the ethics of that. But uh, so w- what's on your plate for future plans? Yeah, so uh, the standards are intended to be a dynamic body of work. Um, so there is always going to be uh, ongoing uh, review of uh, emerging issues that have uh garnered more and more mm-hmm. evidence that is likely to uh, make its way into the standards. Just a couple of examples of projects that we're working on that are completely uh, public, uh, where you can go onto the website and see some of the, the nature of the, the content that we're looking at. Content moderation on online platforms. Mm-hmm. Obviously, all of the battles that you see between uh, social media companies and um, uh-huh. and various government entities are certainly uh, in the forefront of news, especially in the States. Uh, single-use plastics and and mm-hmm. the impact that they have on chemicals and pulp and paper industries. Alternative meat and dairy are uh, other examples of projects that we're working on as far as updating the standards. Uh, another big uh, area of focus for us is demonstrating application and use of the standards throughout a closed-end fund life cycle. So thinking about how you can incorporate ESG mm-hmm. standards into due diligence, then Post-investment, applying them should a a private markets investor have a controlling or influencing position to inform active ownership and company management action around these areas. Mm -hmm. And then performance attribution and then reporting up to limited partners and 
uh, out to prospective investors for a follow-on fund on how action around these specific issues can actually not only lead to um, financial resilience and improve financial performance, but also then linking them to outcomes that are identified by the sustainable development goals, for instance. So you can effectively holistically integrate the SASB standards as part of an ESG integrated investment process, and then connect the financially meaningful ESG factors to social and environmental outcomes as defined by key uh, bodies of work like the Sustainable Development Goals and, and many other type of bodies of work. Um, so we're continuing to push forward, uh, working hand in glove with institutional asset owners and fund managers uh, in private markets, increasingly so um, with uh, long, short hedge funds, uh, both on the equity and on the credit side, mm -hmm. and how they can incorporate some of these this thinking uh, into both the long and short book and, and, and integrating it into their fundamental analysis. So we're doing quite a bit uh, more than uh, we can certainly cover in this podcast, but uh, much of it is available publicly on our website. And for anyone interested uh, to learn more about our endeavors in the private markets and the alternative investment space, that's my area of expertise within the organization. Very happy to have a conversation with you. Awesome. And what's your, what's your is it sasby.org? your website we'll just do the plug <laughs> it is sasby.org um so nice and easy uh and much of our information is on the website and, and for anyone that wants to even email me directly it's just jeff.cohen at sasby.org very happy to uh, get your feedback on the standards as well as have a conversation to talk about how they can be used in an investment process and how about you bonnie what's uh, uh what, what's next for the s factor the e factor the g factor <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, we've been asked that several times, and I think really our mandate is to fill the hole uh, for the complete picture. I think there's enough redundancy on the on the E and G side for sure. Um, for the S, though, uh, I think we need to go deeper, like deep into every operational site of every company and start to map out the full supply chain to get the whole picture of social impact. I mean, we... We have a lot of companies at the top of most sustainable or most responsible lists, you know, for for going paperless, but they've got billions of dollars in investment in otherwise, you know, environmentally destructive uh, assets around the world. And so there's a lot of um, oxymorons out there in terms of, mm. of who we're placing. You know, there was an article public just uh, published earlier this week about Tesla, you know, inking a deal with Glencore on uh, cobalt supply for, for their batteries. But, you know, mm. that mine is in the DRC with, with a huge history of, uh, you know, a, a human rights legacy that is, that is not, um, <laughs> not ideal. And so, you know, are we pushing the carbon agenda, overshadowing the human rights issues? It's where the social factors are missing. Very cool. Thanks. Well, I guess uh, we have a. This is amazing. I, I uh, every time we do one of these podcasts, I learn so much more about all these different areas and really drill deep and uh, really see how the world's integrated and how uh, folks like you, uh, Jeff and Bonnie, are, are helping to integrate them together for us. So it's been a real pleasure. We hope to have you guys on another uh, podcast uh, sometime soon. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you very much.